This is not becoming a thing. No, this is not a thing. I'm pretty sure it's a thing. It's not a thing. You hear the music. You heard the prompt, AJ Styles and The Miz. So we're going to come right out and ask the question over and over again for the next, I don't know, probably hour or so. Is this a thing? Because it's another, is this a thing edition of the Sunday Morning Grind podcast. Josh Taylor, Greg Finley. Greg, we did this last time and it was so much fun. And it just so happens that we're at that point of the year where it might be a little bit more challenging, so to speak, to have stuff to come by. But there's always room. There's always time. And there's always stuff to discuss with our favorite news headline game. Is this a thing? So we're doing it again. The news headlines never stop, Josh. They They never stop. They (laughs) never stop. They never stop being crazy, which, of course, you hear the music. You know how it gets. So we got to get crazy again and ask our favorite question. Is this a thing? We got a couple of couple of local related things, and then we're going to work our way down because there's so much stuff that happened in the past week. We will start with the Penguins. Chris Letang, it was announced on Thursday when we're recording this podcast, Chris Letang's six-year extension worth $6 million per average annual value to remain with the Penguins, presumably for the rest of his career. Now, here's the thing. Penguins already brought back Ryan Rust. They bring back Chris Letang. They've already brought back Casey DeSmith as the backup goaltender. That that situation is starting to come a little, become a little bit clearer. There's really only one piece to the puzzle as far as major offseason moves to be made. That's Evgeny Malkin, and we know he would like to stay here. We know he's willing to at least take somewhat of a discount to stay here, but there's still that thing in the back of everyone's mind. What if he goes down to Washington and pairs up with Ovechkin with the Capitals? The kind of... There's like that fear that sits back there. But my question to you, now that we know six years, six million for Chris Letang, which in my estimation really is a steal to get a guy who's at least, at least if you're going by the Norris Trophy results, at least a top seven defenseman in the NHL. And you're getting him at age 35 at a presumable discount where he's a guy that's in ridiculous shape. He can play like this for four or five more years. So to get this contract, this length for this average amount for Chris Letang, knowing that there's still a chance that you can complete the package. The Penguins getting the band back together and getting Evgeny Malkin back under contract. Is this a thing? What's crazy about this is after the Rangers series and we did our Penguins recap, we were like, okay, Latang's probably gone. He's probably going to Montreal. And Malkin's probably definitely gone. And, you know, we the, the conversation was, how are you going to replace those guys? Right. But now it's... All right, they already brought one back. How will they bring back the other one? And it's not even how, it's when. Because I think it is going to be a thing. I don't think Malkin wants to play for another team. The Penguins are finding ways right now to bring back guys like Chris Letang, Casey DeSmith. Why wouldn't they bring back Malkin and just get the whole band back together? The only other guy that they would bring back where I say the whole band's back together is Marc-Andre Fleury. That would be it. That's the (laughs) remaining piece, really. And, and honestly, if you're going to do that, it's not going to be at the same kind of deal you get Chris Letang. And, and honestly, to be, to be, let's keep this funky. If you're going to bring Evgeny Malkin back, it's not going to be a similar deal no. that you're giving Chris Letang. Evgeny Malkin doesn't have as much tread left on his tires as Chris Letang, as Chris Letang does. He doesn't have as much tread left on the tires as Sidney Crosby does. So if we're expecting that kind of deal, I think you're probably thinking a little bit too high. And maybe that's why some people are, are hesitant to think that Malkin comes back or doesn't want him to come back because they think it's going to be a similar deal. I don't think it would be. I think a two-year, three-year deal probably makes a lot more sense, especially if it's at a team-friendly number. You're getting Latang back at six. If you can give Malkin back at something close, if not around the same number or less, I feel good about that for two to three years. I think it's possible. And Ron Hextall has done a fantastic job of not letting anybody know what he's doing. Right. Ron Hextall, there are people in this town in this fan base that owe that man an apology. It's like, well, we don't know what his plan is. Just because you don't know what he's doing doesn't mean he doesn't know what he's doing. I don't know why there's this thing why people think they need to know what coaches or GMs are thinking every second of the day. You're not entitled to that information. It's not their job to give it to you when you want it. It's their job to do the best, what's in the best interest for their franchise. Right. Not to feed you all the information just because you're not patient enough to sit and wait for it. 
same thing with the Steelers. I mean, they've they've brought people over that we never thought. I was Jack. Who saw that coming? No one saw that. They other never, than, other they, than Chris Carter. Shout out to Chris. He called it. Okay. But yeah. they never tipped their hand. And, and in the draft, nobody knew Kenny Pickett was coming to Pittsburgh. Yep. It was, it was okay, who are they going to take? Because they never tipped their hand. Same thing going on right now with the Penguins. I, I didn't think that Latang had any shot of coming back because I thought he was going to go get paid in Montreal. Hey, let's, let's not kid ourselves. There are people that can't stand what Mike Tomlin and, and Kevin Colbert used to do because they hated the fact that they never told you what was on their minds. People it go through the draft process every year. I wish they would just do this and tell us. You don't deserve to know. You're not entitled to find out. These people's jobs are to do what, the, do what they can to the best of their ability without people finding out. Because if everybody finds out, then they probably can't do what they set out to do. So how'd they pull this off? How'd they get Latang? How did they, did, did they convince him that, you know, you've been loyal to this team and we want to bring you back? Like, why didn't he test the water? Did he test the waters and he didn't get a deal that he liked? Or how did this happen? My guess, and this is the total speculation because we have not heard from him, but if you're going off of what he said on his way out, if you're going off of what Brian Russ said on his way out, if you're going off of what Evgeny Malkin said on his way out, they all said the same thing. They wanted to come back here mm-hmm. if it was reasonable for them to come back here. And it made sense. Now, I'm going to guess it might have been the sixth year for Latang because he could probably go out and get five years, seven or eight million from any team he asked for. But the fact that he was willing to come back and the Penguins said, look, we'll give you a little bit less, but we'll give you a sixth year and you can retire a Penguin. Yeah. I think that might have been it. Six years. And you know all six of those years are going to be with Sidney Crosby. Barring any kind of crazy thing happening. You know all six years are going to be with Sidney. You think we got six more with Sid? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he'll be what? That's fantastic. He'll be 35 next month. Uh Uh-huh. He can play to forty. He can play. To 40. <laughs> he can play to forty, just like Latang can play to forty. I think. I think the, it's the realistic expectation that these two, if they don't go out together, one will go out with the other one still here. In this case, I expect Latang goes out with Sid still here. It might be the sixth year for me. That's what I'm guessing. All right. Well, we both agree then. They're trying to get. They're going to get the band back together. Malkin's get, probably coming back. Getting the band back together. I think it's a thing. And if, if it's a two to three year deal, I think it's a beautiful thing. Because if this, if you're a Penguins at this point, why wouldn't you try to reload and go forward again? Oh yeah, I mean they were a goal, a healthy goaltender away from knocking off the Rangers. Mm-hmm. And if <laughs> they do that, who, who's to say how far they go just with healthy goaltending? And this isn't the first time healthy goaltending hasn't come back to hurt them. Yes, in the playoffs. Yes. So healthy, effective goaltending should be the thing. Now, if you want to talk about what they do in the offseason as far as the goaltending situation, that's nah, a different concern for a different time. But we're not there right now. You and I agree the band getting back together is the thing. Now, let's go over to the Pirates. They just got done with the two games set with the Yankees. Now, of course, the Pirates beat the Yankees in the first game. They used the bats and some good pitching from Jose Quintana to beat Jamison Tyone, who's coming back for the first time as a, a Yankee to face the Pirates. And they beat they beat Jamison Tyone in the Yankees. But... Game two, it may still be going on. <laughs> Game two, the Yankees just completely walloped the Pirates 16 to nothing. And now here's the crazy part coming in. The Yankees had this ridiculous offense coming into the season. One of the top teams in walks. One of the top teams in home runs. This is one of those years where they actually take the Bronx Bombers label almost literally. Yes. And they back it up. But at the same time, here's why I like what they're doing. They have this ridiculous offense. But they've also got pitching now. Oh, they've yeah. got consistent pitching. They've got Cole. They've got Tyon. They've got Severino. They've got guys they can trust to go out there and take the ball every day for five days. Hey, here's the ball. Go do the thing. And they do it. Severino being healthy is huge for them. Absolutely. They've, they've missed him the last couple of times whenever he was out with an injury. Mm-hmm. And he'd missed an entire season from an injury. And the fact that he's bounced back from that injury and he has just come out and shoved they needed that so bad. Absolutely. Now you've got Cole, Tyon, Severino, Montgomery, the lefty, and whoever it is that they throw on the fifth day. It's a it's a loaded rotation. Now, our, one of our colleagues, Dan Zangrilli, um, who's um, involved with the Pirates pregame and postgame coverage on 93.7 The Fan, he had Susan Waltman, who is the color commentator for the Yankees, um, on with him while the Yankees were in town. During one of the um, during one of the shows here, and they had the discussion of this Yankees lineup, how good it was, and could it be as good 
as the Yankees from, say, the Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris 60s, maybe late 50s era, which is saying a lot. I mean, if you're looking at this offense right now, this team at the time of recording, 82 and 59, or excuse me, 82 games, 59 and 23. And they're a team that's already scored 421 runs in 82 games. Mm-hmm. So they're on pace to score. Oh, 16 of them came against the Pirates. 16 of them came against the Pirates. <laughs> so they're on pace to score more than 800 runs in the season. The last time they scored more than 800 runs in the season was 2019. And it's something that they've managed to do quite frequently over time. But let me put it to you this way. The years when they score 850-plus, they go pretty deep. The year they scored 943, they lost in the AL- they lost in the ALCS in 2019. They scored 915 in 2009 and won the World Series. So when they score 900-plus, they go pretty deep into the playoffs. But I want to go back and look here and, and look at some of these years past that we're talking about. Now, the 61 season, that was the year Roger Maris broke. Babe Ruth's record hit 61 home runs. They won the World Series that year and scored 827 runs. Then they go back in 62 and win again, and they scored 817 runs. My question to you. Susan Waltman said this team could be as good or maybe as good as the team with Mickey Mantle and co. during that era. And during that era in the late 50s, early 60s, between 1956 and 1962, they won four World Series. And in three of those four years, they scored more than 800 runs. My question to you, does this team at the moment feel like those teams? Is this a thing? It feels like those teams right now. My problem is... We've seen this happen before in the regular season and then come playoff time. The Yankees, big bombers. Stanton doesn't hit home runs in the playoffs. Judge isn't hitting home runs in the playoffs. They're not getting that power in the playoffs. Cole's giving up dingers left and right in the playoffs. Yep. They have not proven that they can go deep in the postseason yet. They, The Red Sox have handled them. The Rays have handled them. They have to be able to get over that hump, get to a World Series, and okay, I'll believe they're for real. Right now, best team in Major League Baseball, no question. But it's also still in – we're in July right now. We've yeah. got a long way to go. And it's worth pointing out, they played two games in Pittsburgh. Yeah, they bombed the Pirates 16 to nothing in the second game. Lost the first game. They got <laughs> shut down in the first game by Jose Quintana. Yes. And they gave up a handful of home runs in that game from some of the Pirates' kids. So you can make the argument that the Pirates' kids in pitching kind of gave the Yankees a hard time in game one. Well, in the second one, the Yankees looked more like the Yankees. My answer is yes, but for not, but not for the reason that you think. This team feels like it can make a run like those teams did with Mickey Mantle and such, but not just because of the offense. I'm going to go right back to what I mentioned before when we first started this topic. I'm going to point back to this pitching. They have the most consistent starting pitching they've had, probably in the last ten years, if not longer. Oh yeah. I mean, we're talking, I mean, if you want to look at, let's say the, let's look at the 0-9 team that won the World Series, and that was the last team that won the World Series. So they have Sabathia that year? They had CeCe Sabathia, A.J. Burnett, Andy Pettit, Jabba Chamberlain started 31 games that year. Yeah, that was a loaded team. That was a loaded team. (laughs) And then, I mean, you had four guys that started 30-plus. Sabathia started 34. Burnett started 33. Pettit started 32. At age 37, Andy Pettit started 32 games. And had an ERA of 4.16. In 194 innings. And then you had Jabba Tam- Chamberlain, who only pitched 157 plus, but he started 31 games. And he's the area was 475, and that was your fourth best starter. So we're, we're talking about a pitching staff that held up over time where you had four guys that started 30 plus games. Three of them went over 190 innings. Oh, and by the way, they have Clay Holmes as their closer, who is just unbelievably good this season. <laughs> oh, yeah, and that, and that year, Mariano Rivera had 44, 44 saves, and his ERA was 176. And Clay Holmes is trying to catch that. <laughs> yeah, Clay Holmes, like, if you can if you can top Rivera striking out 72 in 66 innings and saving 44 games with an ERA at 176 and a, uh, a whip of .905, <laughs> if you can touch that, you're doing pretty good. Now, let's look at Clay Holmes. Clay Holmes has been so good that Araldis Chapman is setting him up now. Yes. That's how insane this has become. Uh, Chapman got hurt. Clay Holmes took full advantage of it. They brought Chapman back, and he still can't command. Right. And Clay Holmes, 37 innings this year. He has struck out 38 guys, five walks. He has allowed 
two earned runs <laughs> in 37 innings at the time of this recording. He hasn't allowed a single home run. Which now that I say that, he'll probably give one up in two days. But like, because <laughs> that's how it works. Yeah. But that's how good Clay Holmes has been. We just talked about him having to match what Rivera did 13 years ago. He's on a pretty good path. Yeah, and you know the pirate fans that come out and say, "I can't believe we gave up Clay Holmes." Well, he wasn't doing that here, but he's doing it there. He man. wasn't doing that here. He's doing it there. But here's another thing I want to point out. I talked about the starters in 2009. Let's talk about the rotation now in 2022. Garrett Cole has pitched 16 games. Montgomery, 16 games. Jameson Tyone, 16. Nestor Cortez, 15. Luis Severino, 15. Oh, yeah. Cortez is their fifth starter, and he's great. (laughs) I don't think this rotation has skipped a day. All five of these guys, I don't think any one of them has skipped a day when their turns Did you say Montgomery? Jordan Montgomery has started 16 games. That's their five that you just named? That's their five. Cole Montgomery, Tyone Cortez, Severino. Two, two lefties and three righties. Two lefties that's, and three righties. That's balance right there. Now, they look, don't need to go get a pitcher at the deadline because their rotation's already loaded. Well, let's look at the innings and strikeouts. Cole, 93 to third innings, 117 strikeouts. Montgomery, 90 to third innings, 72 strikeouts. Tyone, 89 to third innings, 74 strikeouts. Cortez, 85 innings, 91 strikeouts. Severino, 84 innings, 94 strikeouts. So not only are these guys not missing turns in the rotation, they're giving them innings every time they go out, and they're getting out. None of these guys has an ERA over 365. Right. They're all doing the job right now. And your closer, who's being set up by arguably the most flamethrowing left-hander outside of Randy Johnson and Billy Wagner in the role as Chapman, he's not even your closer because Clay Holmes is. Right. If they're going to make a run and look like this team in the, in the late 50s and early 60s, it's going to be because of their pitching, not because of their offense. The dominance and the run they can go on, I think it's because of their pitching. Granted, they're going to score a ton of runs. We know this. They're going to crack 800, maybe 850. Their pitching might be the thing that carries them across the across the finish line. So I will say it's a thing, but not because of their offense. It's because of their pitching. I'll say it's a thing, but I'm going back to their offense has to prove it in the in the playoffs, and so does their pitching. And, and my thing is, if the pitching looks even remotely as good as it does now, it might be the thing that carries them across the threshold. Because there's going to be games in the playoffs when you just don't score. Because it's harder to score in the playoffs, at least traditionally speaking, quote-unquote, as yes. I say this with air quotes. <laughs> they, they expect it to be harder to score in the playoffs. My thing is, you're just more likely to run into good pitching in the playoffs. And if you run into good pitching, you're going to have to match it with good pitching. And they've got plenty to go in spades. I agree. That would be my interpretation of that. That, that rotation, my God, that's just unfair. It is. It, it, uh, the Yankees have finally come back to being the Yankees. Like, the last couple of seasons, New York was, like, on fire with how bad the Yankees were. They're like, I can't believe that this team hasn't won a World Series since 2009. This might finally be the year that they get over the hump. And the thing is, when people love to throw out the Yankees, oh, they like to spend money to a bunch of stuff. They buy players, they buy players. That rotation, remove Garrett Cole. The rest of it's pretty damn cheap. Yeah. <laughs> pretty cheap. Just throwing it out. Okay, let's move over to the NFL. Not Steelers related. I should say it's not the Steelers, but it is Steelers related. The Cleveland Browns, in another chapter of quarterback infamy have traded a former first-round pick, a quarterback, because, you know, first-round picks being spent on quarterbacks in Cleveland is a thing over the last 30 years. (laughs) Another first-round pick on a quarterback. Baker Mayfield, who was was 1-1, by the way. He was number one overall. Yes. So there's that. Baker Mayfield traded to the Carolina Panthers. This in light of, we still have not found out if Deshaun Watson will be suspended, how long he will be suspended for at the time of recording the show. Jacoby Brissett already in place to be the backup. If you believe reports, that relationship between the the Browns and Baker Mayfield had pretty much been severed beyond the course of repair. But my question to you, now that they have had to move a first round 1-1 quarterback to another team, to address their more screwed-up quarterback situation. (laughs) The Browns finding a way to out-Browns themselves. Is this a thing? (laughs) Of course it's a thing, Josh. It's the Browns. (laughs) I was trying to be very flowery as possible to set that up. I have been saying this for years, and people came after me like, I can't believe that you think that the Browns are still the Browns. Well, guess what? They're still the Browns. They've been the Browns. Look, Baker Mayfield... Had a pretty bad injury last year. 
and yet he's still throwing the ball as much as he was with that running back core of Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Mm-hmm. He was still throwing the ball as much as he could with a broken shoulder. And that offensive line that was pretty good. Yes. They could have just handed the ball off, run the Wildcat, do whatever. He kept throwing the ball. He's like, look, I want to prove to you that I'll go through anything for you guys. So how do they reward him? By paying $10 million to Carolina for him to go bye-bye so they can bring in a guy for $230 million that might not play a single down this season. It is so <laughs> Cleveland. It it brings me so much joy, Josh. It is hilarious how big of a joke they are. They brought over Amari Cooper. Like, oh, we're bringing over the, the top wide receiver so we can have our quarterback, Deshaun Watson, throw him the ball. And then, boom, here come all these reports. Yeah, you, you didn't think that we were going to come back with these reports, did you, Cleveland? Yeah, well, we are. And here they are. 24 counts from different women. They are so screwed. And counting. They're going to throw Jacoby Brissett out there. <laughs> That's their quarterback. They need Baker Mayfield to be their quarterback. And they screwed this up so bad. And it is so funny because it's the Browns. I, I am going to incriminate myself in ways I never thought I would in the podcast. Because I'm a guy who's done this before. Um, probably more than once or more than I care to admit. You have something great. Got a girlfriend, treats you well, takes care of you, buys you stuff every once in a while, rubs your back when you come home, maybe even rubs your feet. Take good care of you. You see something else over here, uh, maybe I want to go date that girl. So you, you get rid of one good girlfriend to go find another girl that might be better. Uh-huh. That might be a little bit more exciting. May do a few more things that you didn't expect. And then that blows up in your face. Let me tell you, let me tell you something. When you try that situation, when you have something good and try to just toss it to the side for something better, the thing you toss it to the side for, 99 times out of 100 blows up in your face. This is the Browns spurning the former, the former lover. And the new lover may have an STD. Like, this is what this is. This Which is a- he actually might from what's going on right <laughs> I, now. I don't want to speculate. I was being metaphorical, but if that's the case, I'll leave that alone. But now you, you have this new lover that you jilted your old lover for, and it's blowing up in your face. And that is exactly what's going on in Cleveland right now. That's what's going on in Cleveland. It's they, the thing. They have gone full-blown draft day when he trades all of his first-round picks. <laughs> And then he cries, and he's like, oh, man, I need my first-round picks back, all of them. Well, guess what? You're not getting that in reality. No. It's not going to happen no. here. There's, there's no GM you can hold over the fire. There's no Bo Callahan, whose teammates didn't show up to his party, <laughs> that you can use to hang over another GM's head. You're screwed. Good luck with that. And this this thing may not be over. It, it may, They may have a quarterback in 2023 that hasn't played a game in two, two years. years. Yeah. Even if he comes back, say, week eight or week nine, what's to say that he's actually going to be ready? It's, he hasn't played in over two years. It's still a season <laughs> and a half. Yeah. Like, it's... it's. He hasn't played in forever. And there are people saying, oh, well, he sat out enough time. Yeah, the Texans still paid him to sit down last season. Mm-hmm. That is not the same thing. Right. I'm sorry. Not to mention the fact that Cleveland, they, they finagled the contract to where he only gets paid out a million in 2022. So even if he he gets suspended, it doesn't hurt his overall paycheck. No. The fact that they even tried to finagle it to save this guy the headache of possibly losing money because he might get suspended for potentially sexually assaulting 24 different women. Yep. You deserve to have this blow up in your face. And that's exactly what's happening. And it uh, it couldn't happen to a better franchise than what I keep telling people. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. This is the thing. Here's the part two of it of this Baker is he going to torch Cleveland in week one in Carolina wouldn't that be great if he starts week one for Carolina and torches Cleveland? how can he not if you're the head coach like okay we have Baker now we're playing Cleveland in week one how do you not let this guy go out and ball well here's the fun part the guy who's the head coach for Carolina is probably coaching for his job is it Matt Roll? it's Matt Roll. yeah Matt Roll. Matt Roll may be coaching for his job if I'm him, I'm going, hey, if Baker beats out Sam Darnold clean. As he should. <laughs> as he probably should, you start Baker week one. You're going as aggressive as you can. You're pushing every chip to the middle of the table. Now you got Baker. You got Christian McCaffrey. 
Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson, you guys go out there and cut loose and light this team up. Yes, that's exactly what needs to happen. And Baker, you don't even need to tell Baker a thing. He has all the motivation he needs. You don't need to tell Baker a word. Might throw for 350 yards. If I'm Matt Rule, right before he goes out in the field, I'll look Baker in the eye. Go do what you're going to do. <laughs> right. I don't need to tell him anything else. Go show them what they gave up. You you <laughs> are you already know what this means. Go do what you're going to do. You think it'll happen? I think it will. You think he goes out and balls and they beat him? I'd, I'd love to see him start against Cleveland. Whether or not he balls out and beats him, Cleveland's defense is still pretty good. That's a different story. I'd love to see it happen, but I don't know if it will. I would take Carolina in that game. I will take Carolina in that game when we do hot sheet. I would take Carolina <laughs> in that game, but not because Baker lights them up, but because Cleveland oh, doesn't Jacoby have an offense. <laughs> because Cleveland's offense can't match Carolina. Yep. yep. The Cleveland's defense is good, but the offense won't be able to score. So, all right. Let's shift over. Let's shift back to baseball, actually. We're, we're, we're going to do this here. We'll, we'll, we'll go to this one first. Oh, no. I know what's coming. <laughs> we got to talk about your guys the Mets. Oh, no. I don't know what's coming. I, yeah. thought, I thought this was the basketball one. No, okay. we're, we're going to talk about your guys the Mets. We're talking baseball here. Jacob DeGrom. <laughs> I, I got to point this out. Max Scherzer um, on uh, just came off the IL. Tuesday. Came off the IL Tuesday. And... Just comes and balls out for the record because it's Max Scherzer. Like, are we shocked that Max Scherzer is that good? How many strikeouts was it in five innings? Like eleven. Eleven strikeouts in five innings. Max Scherzer doing Max Scherzer things. So he he appears to be fine. However, Jacob Degrom. Well, they couldn't get him run support though because why would they? Because it's the Mets. They lost that game. It's the Mets. <laughs> it, how how many years have they been doing this to Degrom? So I know. It, it's I know. fitting that this happens in the in the situation where we're about to talk about Degrom. But Jacob Degrom. Why, why do I root for this team? I, go ahead. Go ahead. Dude, I <laughs> I could tell you how badly it is being a Duquesne fan, but we could be here all day. <laughs> go ahead. Um, but Jacob DeGrom on rehab. Uh, now, granted, he's had issues with his elbow dating back, what, the last year and a half? Almost two years, Greg? Uh, he got shut down last year. So it's just been a year. Yeah, but he wasn't. He he only pitched like a cut, like seven full starts, but he kept getting injured. Yeah. So he he only made it to like June last year. This is a rehab assignment that probably should have happened literally a year ago. They shut him down after the trade deadline because I said Rich Hill was the only starter that you went and got after you knew Degrom wasn't coming back. Yep. So yeah, he's been out for over a year. Yeah, but this this should have this should have happened like last April or May yes. when they when they had the first issue with the elbow, rest the elbow. Be back by June, maybe July, and then go and ball out. They didn't do that, so it's been a saga ever since. However, DeGrom has said since then that he is 100% and will be healthy the rest of the season. I shudder to ask this question on fear of absolute doom. Is this a thing, Greg? (laughs) Fear of absolute doom? How do you think I feel? (laughs) How many times have I heard him say that and I texted you? I'm like, yeah, dude, I bet. Because... He'll pitch 40 pitches in a minor league rehab game. Oh, yeah, I feel great. And he'll strike out like nine dudes. But then he comes out and throws 102 mile an hour, and he's hyped up, and he's throwing sliders every other pitch at 98 mile an hour, which you're not supposed to do. Nope. And, oh, my arm hurts after four innings of striking out 12 dudes. And then he gets shut down against the entire season. I'm terrified. Like, I'm so excited. DeGrom might be coming back soon. But I'm also terrified that... If he gets hurt again, I may never watch him pitch again. And they're also coming out and saying DeGrom might opt out of his Mets contract next year and test the markets. Might go to the Braves. Like, he's really going to do them dirty like that after he's been injured for the last two years? You can make the case him being injured and probably not shut down on time might be the Mets' fault. Oh, yeah, it's probably their fault, That's the case you can make. So, speaking of excited and terrified, we'll get to the Lakers later on because that's kind of how I feel about them. Yeah. But that's beside the point. I hope it's a thing. I'm worried it's not a thing because I've seen this story too many times when DeGrom says to reporters, I feel great, and everybody gets all hyped up. DeGrom's going to pitch in two weeks. He pitches. He shoves. And then, oh, DeGrom got pulled in the fifth inning because of arm arm tightness or arm injury. And, I, then, and then he's done. I hope for DeGrom's sake it's a thing. But since it's the Mets, I think it's not a thing. <laughs> they will find a way to Mets this up. Exactly. You, you read my mind. Sticking with baseball and arm injuries and pitching. This is a really, really strange phenomenon. And this is something that um, was was accented in a story by Travis Sawcheck, who writes for thescore.com, formerly was a Pirates beat writer, 
for the Tribune Review. And Travis, we and our co-workers, actually hosted a radio show that Travis was a part of, him and Rob Beertemple at the time. He wrote that book on the Pirates. He wrote Big Data Baseball. Yeah, Big book Data. Book on the Pirates and how they kind of turned things around in the early two, early 2010s, which I have a copy of at home, and I think I have a copy of my Kindle, if I'm not mistaken. Really good book. Now, Travis wrote a story about um, relievers, relief pitchers, not not starting pitchers being taxed as far as throwing too many pitchers. pitches. He, he wrote a story about relievers throwing too many pitches, and one of the things he said was, uh, with all the concerns about pitch counts for starters, relievers are more often being left in games to throw a one-inning stint of 30 or more pitches. In 1990, there were 102 such outings. Over the last after, over the last two full seasons, relievers have endured more than 300 such appearances. That's only in the span of 30 years. Three times as many long outings for relievers 30 years later. That is alarming. Now, Travis says the reasons behind these changing trends, starters are pitching fewer innings, the high pitch, high strikeout nature of today's game. You talked about the Grom, they're going four innings, striking out 12 dudes. The increasing rate of foul balls in the game. Foul balls began to outnumber balls in play in 2017, and the trend has been maintained every season since. As a result, more relievers are being tossed into extreme mop-up duty, and more position players are finding themselves on the mound. My question to you, with starting pitching becoming more of a shorter proposition and relievers having to do more work, are we experiencing an epidemic, a pitch epidemic in baseball? Is that a thing? We're talking about Major League Baseball, right? Yes. Of course it's a thing. It's Rob Manfred's Major League Baseball. He has found a way to ruin this game as much as possible. And now we're getting to the point, Josh, where starting pitchers are getting pulled even during a no-hitter, they're getting pulled. Because managers are like, oh, you know, 85 pitches, that's worrisome. we got to bring in relievers. And and whenever a starting pitcher gets rocked and they have to pull him in the third inning because they're down 8 nothing, you got to bring in your long reliever, and, you know, he can only throw so many pitches until he gets rocked if the team's up 16 to nothing, Of course. I mean, you keep bringing in relievers. The Pirates had a guy come in and throw over 30 pitches and gave up a bunch of runs, and he now he's DFA. He threw 56. 56 pitches. Cam View, yeah. Yeah, and now he's gone. Well, they sent him back down to the AAA, I think. But okay. It, it, it's, it stands to reason that this is something that started. This isn't a brand new thing. It's just the thing that's around baseball now. This is something that literally was becoming an issue starting 20 years ago. That's why I can't put all of this on Rob Manfred. I can't put this on him because you had teams like Oakland that specifically had the mindset of, we need to create a war of attrition against starting pitchers. Michael Lewis literally wrote about this in Moneyball. He wrote about it being baseball becoming a war of attrition. This was 20 years ago, Greg, that this was a thing. Mm -hmm. A war of attrition where starting pitchers, they're trying to get them to throw somewhere between 90 and 100 pitches within five to six innings. Why? Because once you get past that point, there's nothing left. At that point, they are vulnerable. Their ERA skyrocket, and teams just take advantage of it and start knocking them around the yard. That's why, to your point, when a pitcher gets to 85 pitches in the fourth or fifth inning, managers are getting tight because they're like, look, if he gets us 100 pitches by the fifth or sixth inning, now we got to go to our bullpen, and we don't think they can hold up. Right. That's not even counting the fact that if you don't have the lead, it gets way worse. Right. And this is partially because, and to get back to the whole thing discussing Oakland and the war of attrition, hitters are taking pitches. They're not just swinging at everything. Now, granted, there are some hitters that still don't have a lot of plate discipline, but we're seeing pitchers having to throw more because hitters are taking pitches more. They're just trying to they're trying to work their way, not just for the sake of drawing walks. With with the A's twenty years ago, it was more or less the concept of, hey, make the pitcher throw a pitch to you. If he's not going to throw you a strike, don't swing at it. If you can get yourself on base, get yourself on base. If he's going to groove you one down the middle and then rip at it and get extra bases for it, because that was the whole the whole concept, was increasing the opportunity of a higher OPS. Drawing walks, getting pitches to hit, and driving them into the gaps or over the fence, so to speak. This is a particular situation where I think more teams are taking pitches, not just for the sake of trying to get strikes, but to get strikes to drive. Mm. The... the Emphasis on power has become so much more of a thing. 
the emphasis on putting the ball in the air and getting a higher slugging percentage and hitting for extra bases has become so much more of a point of emphasis. Not to mention the fact teams are hitting home runs. They're, the emphasis on hitting home runs is more. The emphasis of getting extra base hits is more than it was more than 20 years ago. I think that's what changed. Here, here's something that should blow your mind. The Pirates are eighth in the National League in home runs. The last time they were that good was like eight or nine years ago. When they as were far a playoff as, team. When they were a playoff team. And they, I won't say, well, that's not true. Yeah, 2015, they were 10th, and that was seven years ago. Yeah. But that was the last time they were even that high. But now they're eighth in the National League in home runs entering last weekend. So this is something that even the Pirates are starting to take advantage of. We talked about the Yankees earlier, how many home runs they hit. They're also one of the leaders in MLB in walks. They're drawing walks, too, because pitchers don't want to pitch to them because they can go yard at any moment. It doesn't help that they're playing in a band box of a stadium. And most of the teams in the division they play in have band box stadiums. Did you notice, too, how much much more we see? It's because of technology that we have the the strike zone now. We can see it on television. Yes. But I feel like, you know, 10 years ago, even even sooner than that, closer pitches that would miss outside the strike zone, guys wouldn't take it all the time. Mm -hmm. They take it all the time now, hoping that the umpire calls it a ball. Beforehand, if it was close, you would swing at it because you don't want to get rung up. But now it's Man, it missed by an inch, and every time it misses by that inch, it comes down to the umpire's call because they never swing at it anymore. I've noticed that all season this year uh, because these guys argue. They go, man, how'd you call that a strike? And they show the replay, and it missed by an inch. Mm -hmm. It it becomes harder for for umpires to really be accurate about it in the moment. And it's already a hard enough job trying to see that in real time with the naked eye. Right. It's already hard. But now, if anything is remotely close, it used to be if it was remotely close, it would be called a strike, like you said. Right. It now varies from umpire to umpire. It might vary from pitcher to pitcher, which people say, oh, keep the human element. The human element might screw you there. <laughs> That's kind of the problem I have with this. It. just like, look, the human element name may not be the most righteous thing you want happening in certain situations. And the catcher framing it, too. That can always change it, too. Pitch framing has become so much more of an emphasis now. We talked about Travis Sawchick in the uh, Big Data Baseball. One of the things the Pirates started to emphasize when Neil Huntington and that group took over, they started to emphasize pitch framing, and that took a lot of a big that took a big turn too, as far as the performance of their pitchers. But that's beside the point. But it all comes back to the same thing. There is more of a scientific approach now, as far as how you attack pitching, not just hey wait for your pitch and drive it. It's hey wait this guy out, wear him down so you can find some pitches and drive them later on. When you get to the the second, maybe third time through the lineup, you can tee off on this guy. I'll add one more antidote to this because you know I love my anecdotes. Mm -hmm. 2003. Now, the 2002 season, we talked about the the A's and Moneyball and all that stuff. The should say the 2002 season that the book was largely based on. At the end of the 2002 season, Billy Bean interviews with the Red Sox, gets offered the job, accepts it at first, and changes his mind later on, doesn't take it. The Red Sox hires the OFC. That next year in the playoffs, they run into a big situation where Theo Epstein and his crew came up with numbers for each pitcher. Hey, once this guy gets past this number of pitches, his ERA spikes. Pedro Martinez was one of those guys. They get to, I believe it was, what, was that game six or game seven against the Yankees in the ALCS? I think it was game six. Pedro Martinez starts. Grady Little, instead of pulling him after a certain number of pitches, he sends Pedro Martinez back out. The Yankees come back have a big inning, take the lead back, force extra innings, and then Aaron Boone hits a walk off of mm. Yankee Stadium. Yankees go to the World Series. Yes. It happens just that fast. If you're if you are familiar with Feeding the Monster, the book that Seth Manukin wrote about the Red Sox, he looks over at the Red Sox bosses and about Grady Little and says, can we just fire him now? Because Grady Little ignored what the research said. Hey, after a certain number of pitches, get Pedro out of there. Because he gets worse after a certain number of pitches. Grady Little kept him in. He got lit up. The rest is history. So I will say this. There is a culture now in baseball that has started in front offices, especially with sabermetric-minded GMs, that the war of attrition is now a thing. And because the war of attrition is a thing, I think this pitching epidemic is a thing. I do, too. We found a really good way to break all that down. That was actually a lot of fun. All right, we got a lot more stuff to get through here. We get a little bit more crazy. One more baseball topic we'll get to. Matt Carpenter 
was back in town with the Yankees this past week against the Pirates. Matt Carpenter was doing more cardinally things, including, and this one made me laugh, in the first inning, I want to say, of that second game of that series, or that, that two-gamer against the Yankees, the Pirates came up with the idea, let's have a four-man outfield. O'Neill Cruz, who was starting at shortstop, gets put out in like the left center field. So you got four outfielders for the Pirates while facing Matt Carpenter, who is a notorious and legendary Pirate killer over the course of his career. He played most of it with St. Louis. Well, now he's a Yankee. Four outfielders for the Pirates against Matt Carpenter. What does he do? He doesn't care. <laughs> Lines a double into the right field corner and beats the four-man alignment anyway. My question, Greg, and not, this is not counting the fact that Matt Carpenter is actually killing it this season for the Yankees. Which he wasn't even supposed to be playing Which for he, them. He was a free agent. And then they agent. just brought him over. They brought him over. Like, yeah, Matt Carpenter, why not? So my question to you, Matt Carpenter doing cardinally things for the Yankees. Is this a thing? I'll take it one step further. He wasn't even supposed to play in this series. Anthony Rizzo being scratched was mm-hmm. the reason why Carpenter got put in. And he took full advantage of it in both games. Of course it's a thing. It's Matt Carpenter. At, at the time of this does recording. Does Colton Wong kill the Pirates every time? Of course he of does. Of course he does. <laughs> and he's with the Brewers, which makes it even easier. Right. Uh, at the time of this recording, Matt Carpenter had played in 22 games, 60 plate appearances, 8 home runs, and he's slugging 820. He is, <laughs> and he is uh, mustache Matt Carpenter. Because they're not allowed Matt. to have beards on the Yankees, so he just has a giant mustache now. A mustache Matt Carpenter. Still doesn't wear batting gloves either. He's and he, still cardinally Matt Carpenter. He is still cardinally Matt Carpenter. Unbelievable. <laughs> All right, let's get a little bit to, a little bit of the, the fun type here. Uh, Sports Center anchor L. Duncan, of, of whom both of us, you and I are both fans, um, during our, our Sunday morning radio days, we were very accustomed to being in the studio, and we would have ESPN on the studio, and L. Duncan's face would be on the screen anchoring the Sunday morning Sports Center. Right. Well, she now anchors weekday evenings on Sports Center around the same time I'm anchoring the evening news most days. Um, but she had a tweet about being on a flight that was delayed because the passenger tried to bring an animal on the plane. Now, it wasn't a dog. It wasn't a cat. It wasn't even a ferret. A passenger was trying to bring on an emotional support animal. The problem was the animal was a turkey. <laughs> emotional support turkeys. Greg, is this a thing? First time I'm going to say something's not a thing, and it's <laughs> this one. They tried to make it a thing, but oh, the airline man. was like, are we even allowed to take off with this thing on? And that's why it was delayed. No, you should not have an emotional support turkey. I would think this turkey needs this emo- needs an emotional support. Exactly. It's like, what? Why is this human being? Am I being killed for Thanksgiving yeah, already? Like, I'd be what's more. What's going I'd, on here? I'd be more skeptical if I was a turkey that I might not survive the flight. That's Can you saying. imagine being a a TSA worker and you go, yeah, we got somebody walking on right now with a uh, emotional support uh, <laughs> tur- turkey. We got a yeah. guy with a turkey. Yeah, Bob, turkey. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, no, no, he's not going to Washington to be pardoned. I'm sorry, is, did you say turkey? Yeah, turkey. Turkey, yeah. That's like, that's like a really great Family Guy skit. Correct. That would be a Family Guy-like side skit. That'd be amazing. This is worse than we tried to bring that turkey on the plane. <laughs> this is what that feels like. It does, 100%. I have to agree, this is not a thing. No. But sadly, someone is eventually going to make it a thing. It's going to happen. Just give it time. <laughs> Truth is stranger than fiction. We got a handful of basketball things to talk about here. Um, your team. Now, we're going to get to my team being ridiculous. But your team, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Boy, did they make news last week. The, now, re- correct me if I'm wrong. A grand package of four players and three draft picks? Yeah. <laughs> to Utah? For Rudy, For Rudy Gobert. Gobert? Yep. That's it. One guy. Um, The Timberwolves... Trading for Rudy Gobert and becoming contenders overnight. Is this a thing, Greg? <sighs> they went full on Brooklyn. They when, really the, did. when they went and got Harden and they gave up every single piece of depth possible. That is exactly what they just did. At first, I was excited because Waj's original tweet yep, Woj bump. said that it was just for three picks. Right. Then it comes out later that, <laughs> oh no. They also gave up four players that play every single day, including possibly their biggest leader in Patrick Beverly. Unbelievable. They gave up Pat Bev. They gave up um, Malik Beasley. They gave up Balmero. 
and they gave up Vando, Vanderbilt, who I love. Mm-hmm. Great power forward. Now they're going to move Cat to power forward, and then have Gobert center. Which I, which I don't hate. Fine, I love that. They're going to get 50,000 rebounds a game, and they're going to just feed those two all night. I don't hate that at all. But the bench is going to suffer immensely now from this. I hate it. At first, I loved it. Now, I don't. And I, they're not going to be a contender. It's not a thing. No. The, wow. the Warriors still exist. And they might go get Kevin Durant overnight. And we'll, we're going to talk about that later. We'll jump to that in a second. But, no, the West is way too loaded for the Warriors to, or for the Timberwolves to say, you know, Rudy, go, we're Rudy Gobert away from winning this thing. Look at Utah, Josh. <laughs> Utah had starting five and a bench that was really good. And, and that bench just got way better. And they can't put it together yet with Rudy Gobert on it. So why would Minnesota? Speaking of Utah, we got to mention this. Brian Whithorst, like, playing <laughs> soothsayer. He he was breaking it down in a way that it reminded me of me in a scary way. Yeah. Because he's doing, like, Utah. They, they make this trade with Royce Young. Royce O'Neal. It was the Royce, yeah. They moved Royce O'Neal to Brooklyn for first-round pick. And then... They, they bring in Danny Ainge as their new GM. They hire a new coach. They give him a five-year deal, which is rare. What's going on to Utah? And he just dragged it out for, like, ever. <laughs> we, we need to find out what's going on in Utah. And this was before that trade happened. It happened a day later. It happened a day later. <laughs> you know Windhorst was just, like, staring at it on television like, I told y'all. <laughs> what did Windhorst know? What did he know? that? And everybody else would first take us like, uh, they're just guessing. They're like, um, we don't know what happened when a horse just get. I, he was, I mean, he just, he, he was, he looked, it was really, really insane. And there were some, there's somebody who actually turned it into like, um, they took wind horse and inserted it into a mine hunter scene. <laughs> and they called it wind hunter. Oh my. It is fantastic. <laughs> it is so good. And in that scene, the person he's matched up with looks just as confused as the entire first tech set. It, it, the fact that he's just like, what's going on in Utah and why are they doing this? And then they trade Gobert for four dudes and three draft picks. Danny Ainge is doing the exact same thing in Utah that he did in Boston. Yeah, it's frightening. And Brian Windhorst saw it coming a mile away and no one else did because of one trade. He had to. Have, he had to have had somebody tip him off. Like, hey, I think someone tipped him. Well, it, it took it took one obscure trade of Royce O'Neal. So I think it was Brooklyn. Yeah, Brooklyn. And then they signed their coach to a five year deal. And one horse is like, something's happening. Something's <laughs> happening in Utah. Like what? What? I thought maybe it was Durant. I think a lot of. I think when he said that, a lot of people were like, well, is, is you talking to get Kevin Durant? Like, are they going to get Kyrie? Like, right. people, people freaked out. Right. But yeah, shout out to Brian Windhorst. Like, totally, he who remains in that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's 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 talk about trades and such. There is the speculation of Kevin Durant possibly going back to Golden State in the possible package that had been reportedly offered to Brooklyn, James Wiseman, um, I'm Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole was in that deal. Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> Wiggins there was like four or five guys in this deal possibly being offered to Brooklyn to get Kevin Durant back. But my question to you, regardless of what the package is, KD returning to Golden State, is this a thing? I think it is. Kevin Durant can't play for a team that's not a contender. And he knows that he's not going to get it in Brooklyn. He's definitely out. And uh, originally, you know, I thought maybe he'd team up with Dame in Portland, but I think he knows that he needs more support. He's not going to get more support than Steph and Clay and Draymond and Kevon Looney. Mm-hmm. And the list goes on. And they can trade all these guys, but they'll just bring in more. It's the Warriors. They'll trade it, They'll trade those guys out, bring KD in, and they'll sign a bunch of veterans for the veteran minimum to fill that bench up. Right, right. And they'll have a ridiculous second unit again. I, th- I think it's a thing. I think Kevin Durant's coming back. It feels like a thing. I don't want it to be a thing because I don't want to see Kevin Durant back with a team like that. Brooklyn wants too much from Phoenix. They want Devin Booker if they were to give up Durant. And why, and why would Phoenix on, do that? <laughs> why on earth would Phoenix give up Devin they Booker? They would. They would. They're they're laughing at that. If he, if it's if it's up to Phoenix, Devin Booker will die a son. <laughs> and if he doesn't die a son, Steve Banco himself might die. <laughs> Shout out to Banco. We don't need that happening. So I don't think that's happening with Phoenix. No. So yeah, I I hate I'd hate for it to be a thing because I, I just Certain players, I'm sick of seeing jockeyed around and just 
chasing opportunities. They got a good thing going right now. They yeah. don't need to get rid of Wiggins. They don't need to get rid. They don't need to get rid of all that depth. They don't need to get, get rid, rid of another Pol. guy. I mean, Paul's probably going to get paid anyway. Yeah, he's a great player. He shouldn't play behind Steph his whole career. But right now. Why wouldn't you want to run it back with this crew? You I, just won the NBA Finals. I would rather see the Warriors make several more runs with this, with the team, the team this deep, and with the unit behind their starters that's this young. I think that's the most exciting thing that could happen right now in the league. I'd like to see Kevin Durant go to a team that needs him. The Warriors don't need him. I'd like no. to see him go to a team that actually needs a Kevin Durant to yeah. actually contend you know? and actually be like legitimately good for you know who ironically could use the Kevin Durant and would probably be good? Lakers. <laughs> no. I'm, I'm, yes, you're but something, not where but, I'm going. But it's not, it's not that ironic. Minnesota? You know who ironically could use him? Minnesota? Oklahoma State. Oklahoma City? The, oh, yeah, Oklahoma State. I got college football in the brain. Oklahoma City. Bring him back. Ironically, Oklahoma City could use the Kevin Durant. They could. He would never do it. He'd never do it. But Oklahoma City with Kevin Durant on that team? Chet Holgram. <laughs> That would look like a much better team. It would. No I, doubt. Ironically, the team that could probably use him to make a run is the team that he originally left. And he'd probably never go back. There's no way he'd go back. That's what makes it ironic. Yeah. But it, it, that's the thing. It's just like, I'd rather see that happen. I'd rather see that happen than him go to Golden State. That sounds crazy. No, People I would People are going to tell me I'm out of my mind, but that sounds I would to too. I My ideal situation is that he goes and balls the Dame because I think it would be fun. It would be really fun to see him in Portland. I, I totally agree with that. That's that's true. You and I both think this is the thing. I think neither of us want it to be. All right, let's rip the Band-Aid off on your team. We got, we got 10 minutes left. We got to go rapid fire after that. Speaking of things we don't want to see be a thing. <laughs> There is now speculation of Kyrie Irving as we talk about the possible deconstruction of the Brooklyn Nets. There has been talks about a package for for Kyrie Irving to come to my Los Angeles Lakers, who finally hired a new coach in Darvin Ham, and I'm kind of excited about that. And what they did in the draft, they added pieces. They signed a couple guys off the street that are in the summer league, including Scottie Pippen's son and Shaq's son. I'm like, you know what? That's kind of exciting. Mm -hmm. They got young bodies and injecting fresh talent. But oh, no. They might trade for Kyrie Irving, reported, Kyrie Irving reportedly. But they're going to give up Russ, which makes you happy. You have so, to admit that. <laughs> so, the prospect of a Russell Westbrook for Kyrie Irving trade between Brooklyn and my beloved, frustrating Lakers. Greg, is this a thing? You tell me. That's your team. <laughs> this is another one of those things that I kind of don't want it to be a thing, but I kind of want it to be a thing. I don't know which one I want to pick from. This is literally finding the lesser of two evils. You got one guy who didn't want to do what it takes to be able to play every game. Then you got another guy who can play every game, but wants to start, doesn't want to sit down, and wants to keep doing the same stuff he did 10 years ago that didn't work 10 years ago. <laughs> I can't win either way. And if Kyrie comes back, he's got to play with LeBron. Who he's got to play with LeBron with again. <laughs> Can I choose neither? Can he trade Russ and not bring back Kyrie? I don't know if I want either one. I'm still wrestling with myself if I want to see LeBron come back after next season. And the answer right now is no. Right. Now you got to add Kyrie to the mix and get rid of Russ. It's just another guy I don't feel like my franchise dealing with. And we know the Lakers love drama because it's L.A., it's Hollywood. But for once, Lakers, please, please, can we have a drama Free season from you. We gotta get Jamie Baker on here. Spin the Lakers wheel. Spin the Lakers wheel and drum. And we have a whether it's on the court or off the court. The the owner pushing out her own brother out of the front office. Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka. Can we not have drama in LA for one year? I don't want it to be a thing, but the thing is, even if it's not a thing, they're stuck with Russ. If it is a thing, they bring Kyrie back. Either way, drama ensues. Here's here's how I look. Can I abstain from choosing this? Because I don't want either. I don't want either scenario. I think. God. I think the better scenario is to bring Kyrie over. Younger, <sighs> better than Russ. He's a game player. Like he. Did you see what he did in the playoffs? Yeah. He made every single shot, dude. He literally made every shot. He also gives the Lakers an element that they really need. And it's that a guy who it's a guy who can create offense and create his own shot without having the ball in LeBron's hands. Right. So if I'm looking at this from a rational And would you rather him do stuff or would you rather Russ throw the ball off the backboard fifty billion times and never make the bank shot? I, I would rather see Kyrie There's your answer. drive me insane. There's your from answer. a rational standpoint, <laughs> you, you have a good point. He's it, gonna drop fifty and you're gonna love it. 
But he's also going to probably sit out because he doesn't feel good one day. And, and like, I'm why hate is he it. not playing? Today? And I'm going to be like, why is there more drama in LA? Right. All right, fine. I, I, I'd i rather see it a thing being the lesser of two evils. Josh, you want Kyrie. You know. I don't want Kyrie. You want Kyrie. <laughs> Actually, when it comes to guys that your team might want by comparison, Zion Williamson just signed a big contract with the Pelicans. Yeah. And says he wants to prove he's a winner. <laughs> You're just moving on without even saying we're moving on. <laughs> uh, it, it, it made for a great segue. It made for a wonderful segue. You're like, I can't talk about the Lakers anymore. I, I, you no, know me. The no. Lakers are Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. Zion is not a thing. He cannot stay healthy. <laughs> he can't. I can't believe that they're actually paying him that much money. And I get it. They have to because somebody else will. Yeah. It's the NBA. All these guys get overpaid. It's just the way it is. But he's not healthy. One more injury like he's had already, and he's going to miss another season. And then he's going to have to work his way back again. He's like Greg Oden. Great in college basketball. His knees gave out when he got to the NBA. That's what Zion reminds me of right now. You know what's odd? He hasn't proven himself yet. Anthony Davis leaves New Orleans, ends up in L.A. Zion ends up in New Orleans, and they may end up being the same guy. Correct. Both knees are just terrible. Like both guys can't stay healthy. Both guys' knees being shot. And it's just like, yeah. well, what's the net result? Um, I got to say, it's not it's a not thing. It's not a thing. The, the Pelicans have something going. Like they When they got McCollum, they were definitely becoming... One, Zion's going to hurt them. They just paid him so much money to, for him to not play if he gets hurt again. I hope for his sake he stays healthy. He has to. Yeah, or just, they are like Cleveland Browns screwed. They're, they're going to set themselves back so a decade. They're going to set themselves back a decade and they won't be able to recover. That could be franchise in peril type stuff. Right. It's crazy. All right, let's move to college football because college football realignment. Um, College football realignment has become its own episode of Breaking Bad. Because I think someone somewhere involved with some of these decisions is doing a little bit too much meth. Because this is insane. (laughs) Not only have we gone from the Big Ten adding USC and UCLA, pretty much picking up the check for them to float their own athletic programs, which how that's a thing, I have no damn clue. But the remaining teams in the Pac-12 could possibly be collaborating with the ACC, but that's not counting the six that could be jumping ship from the Pac-12 to the Big 12. College football's drunk. That's all there is to it. I'm telling you, college football realignment is now an episode of Breaking Bad. Because we don't know what the hell is going to happen. But the Pac-12 and ACC possibly collaborating. Greg, is this a thing? I'm going to gonna go no. I don't think it's a thing. I don't know how they can make it work. I mean, uh, I didn't know how USC and UCLA could work. But Chris Mack made a great point to me when I said to him, Hey, you think USC's excited to go play in Minnesota in November? He said they play at Washington State and it's snowing there. Yep, it's like that's okay, true. fair. And they play in Oregon. Yeah, it, it can be cold. That's true. It can be cold in the Pac-12 sometimes. Pacific Northwest. That's true. But but at the same time, and it was too. How many more times can Washington. we? How many more times can we play musical chairs until the, the the NCAA is like, okay, what are we really doing? Yeah, when does the music stop? Like. That too many teams want to be in the SEC or the ACC or make their own new conference. It doesn't work that way. You can't do that. Here's where I think this all got screwed up. The Big Ten could have added two teams to its conference and not even bothered the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 could have been fine. Yeah. If I'm the Big Ten, I don't need USC and UCLA. You know who I go after? I go after Notre Dame and Vanderbilt. Because with Notre Dame... Because the Big 12 is good. They're big on adding new markets, right? They want to expand their reach. You add Notre Dame, your reach becomes the whole damn country. Right. Not only not only do you do that, but you also pretty much lock down the state of Indiana. You got baked in rivalries. Indiana versus Purdue. Purdue versus Notre Dame. Indiana versus Notre Dame. You got rivalries baked in. The Michigan, Notre Dame. Michigan State, Notre Dame. Ohio State, Notre Dame. Your profile as far as big game matchups just tripled overnight. Right. And they actually have, a like, Notre Dame's actually not independent anymore. And they're not independent anymore. And your TV contract is justified when it becomes that much bigger. Everyone wins. Here's another team I think they grab. If it doesn't look like an immediate benefit right away, but I think it fits the profile. Go down to Nashville and grab Vanderbilt. Pluck them out of the SEC. What's your reasoning? 
Vanderbilt feels more like a Big Ten team to me than they do an SEC team. They, they're very out of place in the SEC. They're, they're com- There's no doubt. The fact that they're in the SEC East is the only thing that keeps them from losing like 10 games a season. Because <laughs> right. if they're in the SEC West, they're getting pounded every year. <laughs> they're losing to Auburn. They're losing to Alabama. They're losing to Arkansas. They're losing to LSU. And they're probably losing losing to one of Miss, Ole Miss or Mississippi State. Or both. Or both every season. <laughs> they're getting stomped every year if they're in the SEC West. So the only thing saving them is the fact that they got to deal with Florida, South Carolina, Tennessee. Uh, it, it's just, but other than them being in Nashville, what are they doing in the SEC? Academically, we always we always talked about when Kevin Stallings came from Vanderbilt to Pitt. Well, he had to do a lot of different stuff as far as academics. Vanderbilt's such a great academic school. Well, the Big 12, Big Ten sits there talks about how there's such a great academic conference and academics are such a great thing to them. Fine. Add the Nashville market, which is one of the fastest-growing markets in the nation as far as population goes. They're in Tennessee. They like football down there. You're going to get a chance to start recruiting teams in the South or recruiting players in the South, which helps you a lot. Plus, you can keep talking all that academics malarkey that you keep spewing is that people still care. It's a win-win. Yeah, it is. I would have done that. I would have said, Notre Dame, Vanderbilt, y'all come chill with us. And USC and UCLA can still go out and try to tread water in the Pac-12. And then I, the Pac-12 and ACC can do what they want. I like I like your idea better, but they're not going to do it. <laughs> also, the ACC, Johnny, come lately. They'll find a way to screw this up just like the Mets will. Yep. Um, if I'm the ACC, I am John Cusack with the boombox outside the window, like in the 80s and say anything, trying their best to keep Clemson from leaving and going anywhere. <laughs> because I, it... Clemson just became that meme where they're looking at the one girl and the girlfriend standing next to him with the disgusting yes, face. Yes. And the, the, <laughs> the guy is is Clemson, and they're looking at the SEC, and the ACC is the pissed off girl. <laughs> that is happening as we speak. <laughs> Anybody who tells you otherwise is lying to you, or they're a Clemson fan in denial. But that's happening right now. Yeah, it is. If I'm the ACC, I am doing everything it takes to keep Clemson in house, and probably Florida State and Miami. Did Texas and Oklahoma screw everything up going to the SEC? Texas and Oklahoma screwed themselves going to the ACC, especially Texas. Yeah. Texas screwed themselves. To the SEC, yeah. Oh, yeah, to the SEC. Texas screwed themselves. Oklahoma's going to be fine. They'll probably lose an extra game or two a year, but usually three or four. every three or four years, Oklahoma has a team that's like, okay, this team's really good. Yeah. And they, they usually have a pretty good quarterback and an offense that can light up fields. So I don't mind that as much for Oklahoma. Texas has screwed themselves so bad. And they brought in Arch Manning. Arch Manning went to Texas because he didn't have a chance to play in the SEC. Let's not get ourselves. Right. And he's going to get his ass kicked. So, good luck. That's all I'm saying. How many, how many more you got over there? I have... We'll make it two. Okay. Um, <laughs> Got to give a shout out to our colleague, Jeff Hathaway, Um, Who wrote a, a, a piece for 93.7thefan.com about the upcoming uh, NHL schedule. But I give him most respect for the title. <laughs> what was the title, Greg? So I'm in the newsroom uh, on Wednesday. He goes, hey, Greg, I just wrote uh, an article about the Penguin schedule. Guess what I named it? And I have, I know nothing about the schedule yet. I'm like, oh, what'd you name it? Penguin schedule sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and I just started laughing. He's like, no, seriously, it's terrible. I was like, oh. And then I read it. Yeah, it does suck. And it's a thing. <laughs> All right, here's the question. The Penguins schedule, the NHL schedule as a whole, just being absolutely terrible. Is this a thing? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I feel like, unlike the NFL, these guys were just drunk and, you know, they're like, oh, crap, the schedule's due tonight? I thought it was due next week. All right, we got to throw something together. That's what it looks like. The Penguins are playing the Rangers three times in the same week. They're playing the Flyers three times in the entire season. They're opening with the Coyotes. Who's excited for that? Oh, yeah, Arizona's coming to town. No, I'm not excited to watch the Coyotes come to Pittsburgh for opening night. Stupid. They're playing the Islanders twice. They're playing the Capitals three times. That's it. It's so bad. It's so bad. All right, we'll close out with one last one. Wait, do you agree? I do. Okay. I definitely agree. Okay. Thing. I was just letting you answer the question you were on a roll. Um... All right, I, I got to do this because this is great. We talked about the Rage Against the Machine protest last week with the radio station. Now everybody's being laid off, so they just they just played Killing in the Name for like hours. Hey, do you guys have a Killing in the Name of? Oh, how's it go? Hum 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 hum. <laughs> oh, let me see. 
I don't think we have that. We only play vinyls. And then they played the song. <laughs> if you if you don't know what we're talking about, listen to the previous episode because it's great. Um, so this is from Aaron Fritchner. This is a tweet from him, and I want to say he's involved in some kind of uh, government-related stuff, but he tweets this out. Hugh Grant, the famous actor, the British actor, tweeted a request at activists protesting outside Westminster to play the Benny Hill theme on their loudspeakers. Now, for a little bit of background, the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, resigned. Big scandal. All his ministers quit. Big ethics issues, like just absolute absolute scumbag. It's really bad. Absolute scumbag, as it seems. He's bad. So, um, he requested that activists protesting outside Westminster to play Yakety Sax, which was the theme from Benny Hill, on their loudspeakers. When they did, it became the soundtrack for street interviews with leading Tories trying to explain the situation to the British people. Now, the Tory party is the party in question. It's conservative party, hard right-wing party. And you have people trying to explain what's happening in, in Parliament with the Prime Minister over loudspeakers blaring yakety sex. <laughs> Which, if you've seen Benny Hill over the years, you know how crazy that song is, how funny this whole thing becomes. <laughs> but protesters blaring yakety sacks over interviews in the Rage Against the Machine protest style. Is this a thing? Yeah, I, I think, uh, I wonder if they got the idea from that because it was a Vancouver radio station. Yes, it was in Canada. So it makes perfect sense why they would think to do that. And it, it might become a thing in Canada for a long time. Like, stuff on loop, that might be their thing now. And I'm all for it, because it's hilarious. A prime minister <laughs> resigns in absolute disgrace. His party is scrambling. And they can't even explain it, because Yakety Sax is blaring at every turn. This is fit. I want this to be real so bad. <laughs> No, it is real. <laughs> I was like, somebody, somebody, like, in the replies to this tweet said they should play the music from Curb Your Enthusiasm. And that would be just as good. Oh, my. It would be just as good. <laughs> but this is a British situation. It's a British government problem. You got to stick to the good stuff. Yakety sacks it is. Please, dear God, be a thing. And please do not stop until, I don't know, you get tired of it. Because it's fantastic. <laughs> Shout out to our friends. Our, a partnership with <laughs> our friends course. across the pond. <laughs> 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 had, had to get it in there. The just CFL time, is fully underway too yep. my friend partnership with our friends up north i miss those days so much i really miss those days <laughs> we're, we're gonna we're gonna close out on that happy note of times past that was a fantastic tie-in oh by you God. at the end oh. <laughs> oh i miss golf or a cfl player i miss that miss that segment so do you bad. remember after you would have a backstory for the guy based on his name yes i'll create the guy when i would pick one guy's name and create a backstory yes correct it was <laughs> it was fantastic. Oh, God, I missed that segment. You go, man, Bear Woods. Now, he just sounds like a guy. <laughs> oh, I missed that segment so much. <laughs> I mean, you would talk about, like, killing radio during the summertime. And between that and is this a thing, the show was a breeze. Yeah. Oh. Listeners of the former Sunday Morning Grind radio show, you know exactly what I'm talking about, like, two or three years ago. We had way too much fun with it, but that's what made it fantastic. On that note, we really need to wrap it up. We've been at this rum for, what, over an hour? Yeah, about an hour and ten minutes. We've been playing this as a thing for over an hour. <laughs> we need a break. You guys probably need a break, too. We're going to try to do this again next week because we have way too much fun doing it. So thank you for listening. Follow the show on Twitter at Sunday M-O-R-N Grind. Follow Greg at... At the Jeepin. I got a check mark now. I'm, I'm important. Greg's verified, folks. <laughs> Follow because he's verified. Greg's verified and I'm not. How about that? That doesn't make sense. Uh, it just... Up is down. Steve Banco's verified and you're not. Banco's he's Twitter... your producer. Banco's Twitter famous and he refuses to acknowledge that he's Twitter famous. But that's the sad He's point. your producer. I, I know. <laughs> you should I be know. verified. I, I, in fairness, he was verified before he was my producer. So there's that. He got a he got a random check mark and doesn't even know how he got it. That's I, what he tells everybody. He's lying. He's Twitter famous. He's just trying to be modest. Follow me at Josh Taylor HT. That is it for us. We'll see you next week.